Welcome to Finding Certainty with your host and U.S. Army veteran, Patrick Lang. Over the next hour, you'll learn from Patrick and his expert guests how to attract more certainty into your business and your life. Now, here is your host, Patrick Lang. Welcome to Finding Certainty. Today is the first Friday of March, March 1st. We actually had Leap Day yesterday, which doesn't come around very often. That was kind of fun. We did a little bit of training here at our company about using, you know, what we have to leap forward. And anyway, it was a uh, it was a fun fun little uh, conversation exercise we had. But you know, as part of these monologues, I'm trying to keep them alphabetical. So um, in January we talked about accountability. In February we talked about balance. And this month, we're going to do a C word. Now, there's a lot of different C words out there. I mean, collaboration and confidence and cooperation, courtesy. I mean, I went over a lot of different possibilities. But um, probably the most obvious one you would think would be certainty, uh, since that's the name of our company, name of our show, et cetera. But that's not the word I'm going to use. I actually spoke about certainty back in June. When I last minute unexpectedly had to do a monologue, my guest wasn't able to log on, and with no notice, I had to talk for an hour. Well, it went well. I encourage you to go back and listen to it. I shared several insights into how to create more certainty in your life. Did another monologue in November about gratitude, uh, in I guess in honor of Thanksgiving Day. But you know these monologues, they're they're really about what kind of person do you want to be? I mean, I look at these characteristics, these attributes as things that I want to develop in myself. They're things that I want to see developed in my team. And, you know, it's a, it's an ongoing effort, right? An ongoing battle. So my word for today that I decided to talk about is the word composure. You know, you think of what is a composed person. It's someone who's disciplined. They're controlled. They're they're wise. Um, I, I consider a composed person or a person who has composure to be someone who is emotionally mature. And that's hard. It's hard for a lot of us. I've struggled with that throughout much of my life. I think many of us have as I've gone through trials and challenges and personality differences, and marriages and divorce, and the list goes on. But it's a goal that I've had, and it's one that I feel like I'm getting better at. I've definitely had some great examples in my life. If you look at Webster's Dictionary, it says that the definition of composed is free from agitation. I also use the word calm. Then they also use the words self-possessed. Look up the word composure. It says a calmness or repose, especially of mind, bearing, or appearance. And then they also say self-possession. Well, I looked up self-possession. It says control of one's emotions and reactions, especially when under stress. I mean, isn't that the isn't that the time where the rubber rubber meets the road, where we really determine and prove or others see whether we are self-possessed or not, whether we have that presence of mind that means composure that makes such a difference if, in fact, we can display it. 
you know, presence of mind versus fear, anger, worry, et cetera. I think that the the use of that word presence makes me think of the word present. Are we in fact living in the future with anxiety, worry, or living in the past with fear and anger? Or are we in the present? This is one of the secrets to certainty in our lives, and it's mostly most definitely an indication or outgrowth of being a person with composure. I think of developing composure in my life as being able to step back, slow down, maybe stop and and think through the situation before I respond. You know, there's the old saying that stop and count to 10 before you say anything, because you'll probably say it better. The Latin root or meaning of the word composure, it, it shares the word securitas. And then a definition of security, safety, freedom from care, and unconcern. Well, that's that's hard to do in today's world of of stress and worry and bills and 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 bill collectors. You know, the list goes on. Relationship struggles, health struggles. How do we find security and safety and freedom from care? Because we can't control our exterior, right? We can't control our environment as much as we try to, as much as we think we can, as much as we feel like maybe we're abnormal if we're going through something difficult. We can't and we never will. And that, understanding that, is one of the keys to composure. It's one of the keys to finding certainty. Now, a lot of different examples of composure. I think of water off a duck's back, you know, being even killed, not emotional, patient, wise. How about optimistic? I've been accused many times of being an eternal optimist. It comes with its skills and strengths and also its drawbacks, its pros and cons. But again, it also comes down to being mature. And I think that's what we all want to accomplish, right? We all want to get to be more mature. We all want to get to be more controlled. I think one of the most important characteristics in our lives and in our businesses, our relationships, and everything we do is the ability to mature, to get better. As a business owner, I have to constantly pivot. We might try a marketing approach that doesn't work. And may completely fail, go down in flames, we have to pivot. The faster we can pivot, I think the more likely we'll succeed in the end. We'll, uh, we're less likely to fail. Two things come out of it. One, we can get through it more quickly. And two, we can learn from the process and hopefully do better in the future. Uh, that ability to pivot applies in our conversations. It applies in our finances. It applies in so many areas. And I think it's a one of the characteristics of being a composed person, of having composure, is the ability to recalculate, <laughs> as the GPS says. And we have to do it because many times in life we go down a path and it's the wrong path. It doesn't work. We have to turn around and go back, go back to that fork in the road and figure out a better way. We try something that fails. Well, they say we should fail forward. They say we should keep trying. There's lots of examples of that, like Edison and others who tried to invent 
a light bulb, I think it was 10,000 times. He said, I didn't fail 10,000 times. I just found 10,000 ways that a light bulb wouldn't work. Well, do we have that same attitude in our own lives? You know, how do we do this? How do we do this when life isn't easy? I mean, it's unpredictable. It's dangerous, dramatic, even traumatic, even devastating at times. We're going to talk a little bit later about some of my ideas and some of the lessons I've learned for how to do exactly that. Now, there are a lot of good and bad examples that we can think of. I think of, you know, in sports, just one bad example. Sorry, John, but this was John McEnroe. He was not very composed on the court. He'd throw his racket, throw tantrums, even lay down and kick his arms and legs. It was a terrible example of composure as an athlete. A good example, I thought, was John Stockton of the Utah Jazz. Even when they were behind, even when they were winning, he just seemed even killed. Even uh, in person, I, my family and I went to a chiropractor who was also the team doctor for the Jazz. His name was Craig Bueller, and happened more than on more than one occasion. We'd show up, and John Stockton would be sitting there in the lobby, or Carl Malone, or one of these guys, and and John was just like that. His personality was easygoing, laid back, seemed to just roll with the punches, and it translated to his game. I have a couple of friends who are in their 80s, business partners, friends, mentors. I love them both. They are extraordinary men, but one of them seems to be a little bit better at composure than the other. I won't share their names, but the one, he seems to... Um, get frustrated easily, get angry, get impatient, so much so that it's damaged relationships. He and his oldest son are are fairly estranged, and I think a lot of it has come down to the fact that this friend of mine is not very composed. He's respectful with me. He's respectful with most people. He's an amazing guy. He serves everyone. He's been a uh, just a hard worker for his entire life, but emotionally... When it comes to composure, he seems to struggle a little bit. Now, there's a lot of reasons, right? And part of understanding composure, becoming a more composed person, is not judging ourselves and not judging others. Just keep trying to get better, cut people some slack, give them room to be human. This other friend of mine, though, he seems to do it really well. Same age as my first friend. And he's been through his own share of loss. He was divorced many years ago, 30 plus years ago. Uh, and yet he's maintained this amazing relationship with his kids, his grandkids. He, uh, he seems like he's 30 years younger than he is. I mean, he's spry. He's upbeat. He's optimistic. I've never seen him get angry. I've never seen him lose his temper. He gets frustrated. We all get frustrated at times, but he seems to have the ability to pivot unlike anyone I've ever known. And I learned a lot from him. So um, I, mean, I, have, uh, I have a lot of examples. I've learned a lot from both of these. Not just what to do, what not to do, but just amazing lessons. I've had other lessons like uh, former employers, uh, Employer I had in Alaska named Rocky Brew, who was a great example of someone with composure. He managed a very successful company, very stressful and challenging 
petroleum company, but he just seemed to all take it in stride. Had another boss named Roy Bletko, who taught me how to help others learn composure. We were having some struggles. He, he was the general manager of a remodeling company. I was the senior sales manager. And we were having a lot of trouble between the installers and the salespeople. They just were not getting along. They weren't communicating. There wasn't very much composure going on between them. But Roy taught me how to help them, not just to believe in it and model it, but to not just illustrate, not just model it, but actually teach it and it helped them come to embrace it. One of the best ways we can learn composure is to teach it, to model it, to be an example of it and keep trying and, and be transparent about it. One of the big obstacles, I think, to many of us when it comes to composure or or uh, patience or growth is when we try to pretend that we don't struggle ourselves. We try to, um, you know, put on a facade and 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 not be real with people. One of the best things you can do when you are struggling is to be one transparent and two humble. If you can ask for help, rather than it damaging your reputation, when you admit that you need help, admit where you have fallen, fallen short or you don't know what to do or you're struggling, it's one of the best things you can do. It's a, a phenomenal example of composure, but it's also a precursor to growth. And it will gain great respect for you from the people you work with. One of the best examples of composure in my life was my grandfather, Charles William Lang. Bill, as, they, as everyone called him. He, uh, he was one of the best examples I've ever seen of someone who consistently served others. Um, my grandmother had a, a lot of struggles. She had several health struggles and challenges. She, um, she had blackouts. She, she had seizures. I mean, for many, many years, and this made her a difficult person to be with. Now she had a lot of great characteristics. She loved her family. She served us faithfully, but she was challenging. And my grandfather gave her unconditional service. I mean, I, I don't know if I could have done what he did for, for as many years as they, they were married over 70 years. And I, I may have given up. I, it, I don't know if I could have done what he did for as long as he did. Now, he believed that they would be together again someday, that they would, he would see her in a health, her healthy form. She would be whole. And that I know kept him going, but a lot of it was who he was because he served everyone that way, not just my grandmother, but he stayed composed. I, I don't ever remember him losing his temper. You know, he, he might say, okay, Grace, calm down, calm down. You know, he'd, he'd, he'd speak up and you have to, it's one of the, it's one of the characteristics of a healthy person is to the ability to make healthy requests, respectful requests, but he did it with love. And what a great example to me of being a composed person. Even when we went golfing together, he golfed into his 90s. Again, another example of someone who 
by learning and, and, and living these principles was young, clear till the end. Well, even when he golfed, he was composed. I never heard him swear. I never heard him. I mean, he, he'd say, oh, drat. You know, he made a bad uh, hit or something. But, but man, just a, an amazing example of somebody who, who embodied this principle. And do you know that when he passed away, he eventually passed away in his 90s from cancer, 96, if I'm not mistaken. And my grandmother, she passed 30 days later. She didn't want to be here without him. She loved him with all her heart. And I know that they are happy and together and healthy today. So marriage was, you know, speaking of marriage and lessons this is a hard topic for me because I've, I've had my own trials in marriage. I've been married three times. I tell my wife, third tries the charm, should have married her the first time, et cetera, et cetera. But I am grateful for the lessons I learned and the fact that I, I got my five children out of my second marriage. But I had a lot to learn about composure. In fact, I've been reading a book called Real Love. It's by Greg Bear, B-A-E-R, and I highly, highly recommend it because he teaches real-life techniques and lessons for how to become more composed and more healthy in your marriage or in your relationships. So many of our problems come from our inability or our lack of education, just not understanding how to do this and do this right. He talks about imitation love versus real love. And with imitation love, so often we are looking for others to provide it for us. We have expectations, even demands. We think that they made a promise to us on the altar, and that means they are going to provide X, Y, and Z. And it's, it's not a healthy response. It's not a healthy approach. He talks about how uh, so many of us feel fear and emptiness and we have all of our lives maybe since we were children and we enter relationships trying to feel that emptiness and curb or, or, or calm that anger that hurt and we use what he calls getting and protecting behaviors these are behaviors like lying attacking being a victim uh, there's two different kinds the getting ones are clinging you can hold on to someone so close they feel smothered and they and the other, the protecting behavior is what he calls running. You you leave the room, you 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 leave the house, you maybe leave the marriage, right? These are not composed responses, but they're natural as responses, and most of us do them. And he teaches techniques for how to change that. He really, in essence, throughout this book, which I highly, highly recommend, go to Amazon, order it right now. It'll change your life and that of your children or anyone you share it with. I, having read this book now, and I'm actually going back through it again and writing down notes and highlighting it, I plan to give it to every newlywed couple at their wedding, at their reception from now on. I believe it will change their marriage. In fact, I have a good friend who several years ago, he, uh, he found out his wife was having an affair, multi-year affair. I think it was seven years. She'd been sleeping with some... Uh, airline pilot, and it had been going on for many, many years, and they almost got divorced. I actually recommended that he and she read this book, and he said that it saved their marriage. It taught them both, not just how to be a more composed person, but it taught them how to love each other unconditionally, 
without expectations to help feel <clears throat> rather than feel the fear and the emptiness for each other, but tell to learn how to how to fill it within yourself so you can fill it. So you can give unconditional love without those expectations, demands, or unhealthy getting and protecting behaviors in your spark in, in your partner. So highly recommend it. Um you know uh it, it does take being honest does take being transparent, whether you're in a business or a relationship. Uh, Greg Bear teaches lessons of what he calls seeing. At first, I thought he said rules of speaking. But when I read it more closely, it says rules of seeing. And it's about seeing the other person in ways that will help and making healthy requests and truly being composed. One of my greatest examples, and I'll share this one in closing with this section, but that is my own mother, my mom, Sue Lang. My dad has struggled with health challenges for most of his life. He's in a he's in a wheelchair. He's not able to help and do as much as he can. He does the best he can. He gives so much service to others, even with limited capabilities, but it's hard for him. And he's felt frustrated and angry and and discouraged and you know there's been times he just wanted to throw himself off cliff because he was in so much pain and my mom has been the epitome of composure i've very rarely seen her even say a sharp word to him or to us she loves her family unconditionally and yet she is a pit bull when it comes to getting things done and speaking up when she has to and telling us what we need to hear, but doing it with love. I mean, she is an amazing example of composure. Great example to me and a great blessing in the lives of those that she serves. So I, I promised I'd share some ideas of how to get there. Now let's get into that here on the last, this last section. We're coming up on our first break, but let me jump into the first point if I can before we run out of time. So so the first step to achieving this goal, to becoming this person, a, a more composed person, a more controlled and patient and mature person is to slow down and take a breath. A lot of what um, Greg Bear teaches in his books just takes you slowing down and thinking through it a little bit, just for a, a second or two. You know, remember the stop and count to 10 concept, slow down. Take a breath and um, remember that slow and steady wins the race. This applies in a lot of areas. It applies in, uh, in our relationships, as I've been saying. Uh, Greg talks about how there needs to be one speaker and one listener. When you're both trying to speak at the same time, much of that focused on the past or the future, fear or worry, then nothing gets done. Nobody gets heard. Nobody is showing composure. You're just speaking over each other and everybody just feels defensive and hurt. That is not a solution for success. So one of the keys is to stop, slow down, step back, and let there be one speaker and one listener at a time. The only exception to this, of course, is if you are in a truly loving relationship where there is truly unconditional love, then there's two people speaking, two people listening, and there's a great dialogue. When you're arguing or disagreeing or feel you know, some con contention or confrontation or differences of opinion, you have to remember this principle. Let the other person get it out. Listen, 
ask questions, get them to open up more, make sure they feel heard, and then you'll get your turn. Even if it's another day, just hold off, bite your tongue, and wait into until another time, later that same day or maybe even the next day. There's a phenomenal book called Crucial Conversations that uh, is written by five different authors. I won't share them with you, but you can look it up on, on Amazon, another amazing book. And they teach some of these same principles. They talk about how they've taught it to the UN and taught it to government leaders and, and others and how it changes the dynamic. When people listen and care and truly show empathy, show compassion, show interest, extraordinary things happen. Just last week on my show here, I had Jay Levin on. He's the uh, He was the founder of LA Weekly, the largest urban newspaper in America. Ran it for 17 years, retired and sold it. And now he's the president of an organization called EquipOurKids.org. He talked to me about how he believes that if we can teach our children these skills, he calls them emotional intelligence or EQ, as it's known. Yeah, he doesn't call it. Everybody calls him that. But he believes that we could change generations. We could change our government, our country. We could take down the nukes eventually if people could learn these skills. Another C word is cross-examination. Now, I'm not talking about cross-examining your partner. <laughs> they don't appreciate that. I'm talking about cross-examining ourselves and asking constantly, how am I doing? It's easy to do with 2020 hindsight, look back at what we should have done, what we could have done, what we did well. It's more difficult to do it mid-sight, in the middle of the process. It's a, it's a helpful and a healthy exercise to do, to do it in advance, to prepare, to think through how you'll do your next conversation, how you'll deal with your next stress at work or difference of opinion. Role play it, practice it, think through it. Cross-examine what you think you'll do. Cross-examine what you are doing as you do it and cross-examine what you did when you're done. How cool, calm, and collected did you stay? Just yesterday, as I was saying, we uh, we talked a little bit about Leap Day. And I shared with the sales team some insights. And one of those I shared with them is called the objection resolution model. And it's, you know, there's the old traditional approach of a, overcoming objection. I beat, it sounds like you're beating them down. Well, the objection resolution model teaches that when someone objects, the first words out of your mouth should be a statement of empathy should be a statement of understanding. Whatever you say is going to raise their walls or lower their walls. So what do you want to do? Well, you want to lower their walls. You want them in the basement. So say something like, I hear you. I understand. I, I, I really appreciate that. You know, that's a great comment. That's a great insight. Something that shows empathy. And then the next question or the next step should be to ask a question, maybe a series of questions to peel back the layers of that artichoke and get to the heart of their concern. When you do that, one, it helps you understand and maybe you, you are, can build some rapport and some trust and so most definitely you can, but it also gives you time. Remember, stop, 
slow down gives you time to formulate a better response. After you rinse and repeat, keep repeating this process. If people feel like they are heard and understood in business, in life, in marriage, amazing things will happen. I am not the best example of this, but I am working at it, as my wife will attest, on both sides. So we are up against our break. We're only going to do one break today. I've got a lot to share with you. But when you, when we come back, we'll get into the next few examples or ideas for how to become more composed. Thanks for listening to me. Thanks for being here with me on Finding Certainty. I'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Certainty Management can help create more certainty in your life with our deep discount health insurance options, even for 1099s, part-time employees, volunteers, and more. Pay less to protect yourself, your loved ones, and your team. Call 888-684-3122 for a free quote today. That's 888-684-3122. Visit us on the web at CertaintyTeam.com. That's Certainty, T-E-A-M, like Mary, dot com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. If you're a nonprofit in need of funding, we can help. Certainty Management is a cost reduction firm that also helps churches, schools, sports teams, and other nonprofits raise unlimited zero cost funding. Best of all, you don't have to sell anything or ask for donations. Call 888 684 3122 to learn more today. That's 888 684 3122. Visit us on the web at certaintyteam.com. That's certainty, T E A M, like Mary.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Finding Certainty with Patrick Lang. Have a question for Patrick or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now, back to the show with Patrick. Welcome back to Finding Certainty. Hope you're enjoying this uh, conversation about a really essential topic, becoming more composed in our lives. Uh, you could also say controlled or even killed or mature. Talk about the first principle is to stop, slow down, and take a minute. Just take a breath. Count to 10. Think about what uh, you're going to say or do before you do it. Uh, I mentioned Jay Levin from EquipOurKids.org. His foundation is designed and set up, and it's teaching kids and youth across America how to gain greater emotional intelligence. 
And it's funny because it, I'm a big believer that when we start uh, a snowball rolling down a hill, it just picks up speed. It gets bigger and bigger, and it starts to attract into our path more of the same. Just in the last two weeks, I've had multiple opportunities to meet with people and talk with people, and that subject of emotional intelligence keeps coming up. Jay was on my show last week. We met shortly thereafter. We're going to be doing some uh, fundraising for his organization, and we do zero-cost, unlimited I mean, we can provide zero cost unlimited funding for any nonprofits out there. So if you're listening to this and and know of one that needs our help, please reach out to us. Our numbers, our information is in the description at certaintylive.com. Um, I had another conversation later this week with a lady named Virginia Knudsen, and she is the founder and director of a an organization named BOAR. B-O-A-R. It's an acronym. can't remember what it stands for, but they are an executive uh, mastermind group, similar to Vistage Worldwide or something like that. They meet once a month. They work as a group to help mentor and support each other. And I've been a part of organizations like that myself. I'm actually going to go as a guest to their meeting coming up this month and check them out. But it's an opportunity to be mentored by peers who, while they don't have a vested interest in your business. They do care and they do want to help. So it's an unbiased group of peers who understand and give you feedback that can help. And if you can accept it, extraordinary things can happen. Well, she was explaining to me the difference between Bohr and Vistage. And the biggest one is that they focus a great deal on emotional intelligence. While Jay is teaching young children and kids how to learn those skills. She is helping teach leaders how to learn those skills. They're kind of hitting it from the two ends of the spectrum. I think it's really it's really valuable. Hopefully they can meet in the middle. I'm actually going to have uh, Virginia on my show coming up on the 15th. And then I thought I'd do another show later this year. I have them both on. We talk about it, kind of juxtaposition it from the two different perspectives. But she talked about how her granddaughter is learning those skills. She's really good at them. You know, uh, somebody offended her or was being a bully, and she immediately said, "You know, they're probably she's probably hurting or empty, and I need to remember that to try to understand." See, people can tell you what they want about you: bullies, critics, etc. They can attack you. It might be a partner, even a spouse. They can say what they want, but that doesn't mean it's true. It doesn't mean when you say things to yourself that they're true. One of the little lessons you can learn about emotional intelligence is to think of it as a green frog. If someone tells you you're a green frog, well, immediately you think, well, no, I'm not. Well, that's stupid. <laughs> that's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. And so if you learn this and remember this technique, somebody says something, somebody's struggling, somebody attacks you, criticizes you, hurts you, you can just say, well, that's just a green frog. I know it's not true. If there's valid feedback, maybe some of it is true. Maybe it's not all green frog. Maybe it's something you should pay attention to and open open up to and help yourself improve. But a lot of the time, it's just a green frog. So remember emotional intelligence. I encourage you to dig into it, learn it, understand it, teach it to your kids, your grandkids. If all of us could become more emotionally 
intelligent, we can also become more composed in the process and amazing things can happen. The third um, reminder or tip is to raise our expectations. These are learned skills. They're not they're not always natural. In fact, they're rarely nat- natural or something we came by naturally. We have to surround ourselves by mentors and good lessons. Read and study good books like Crucial Conversations, like Real Love. You know, take part in masterminds like the Bohr community, like in organizations like EquipOurKids.org. I remember the move that the song by Steve Winwood called Higher Love. It's one of my favorite pop songs from the 80s. But we have to have higher aims. We have to believe and want to get better. And the only way to do that is to surround ourselves by those who can model it and teach it and remind us. We need to surround ourselves, as Greg Bear says in his book, by wise men and women who can who will love us and accept us unconditionally and also hold us accountable our entire model at certainty management follows this track we help our clients to become more accountable to raise their sights we do it in a unique way in most cases we only get paid when we save them money or recover them taxes or reduce their costs or renegoti- renegotiate their contract we put our money where our mouth is. We prove our worth. So we are paid when we produce. But by raising our client sites, if we can get them to just trust the process, and we, we very often say you have nothing to lose, then we can do amazing things. And we have nothing to lose to do it in our own lives, in our marriages, our relationships. In fact, we have everything to gain. We have to keep stretching ourselves and keep getting better. I, I did that when I started this radio show. I had no idea how to be a radio host. I had never done it before. It was frightening. It was overwhelming. It was scary. It was, but it was exciting too. I love stretching myself. And it's been an extraordinary experience. Confidence will come little by little. One of my favorite verses is Alma 32 in the Book of Mormon, where he talks about a seed. And we plant a seed and we watch it grow. And there's three evidences that that seed is a good seed because we can, we begin to understand it. We begin to feel it more and we begin to want it more. It says it enlightens our understanding. It enlarges our soul and it becomes delicious to us. I think that happens in many areas in our life. If we just raise our sights and try and amazing things happen, we start to have ripple effects. Our company has gone from helping companies make money to now we use what we're good at to help nonprofits raise free funding. And we have, I guess, progressed. We've matured from looking inward to looking outward. And when we do that, amazing things happen. The fourth step is that we have to remember that we have choice in all things. We can control not just not our environment, not our not the world, not the politics, not other people, but we can control our response. We can choose how to respond. We can stop and take 10 seconds. We can slow down. We can want to get better. We remember, remember. 
a fundamental, eternal principle is to remember that we have freedom of choice. It's not nature, it's nurture. It's not choice. Instead of consequence, it's choice together with consequence. It's choice together with the those eventualities that we have no control over. One of my favorite books is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. He was a uh, Jewish physician in the, in the Holocaust, in a concentration camp. He talked about how they can all remember those who went around the camp serving others, giving of their last piece of bread. They chose how to respond to this almost unimaginable experience. He says that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. If that isn't the epitome of composure, I don't know what is. And it's not always easy. I mean, it wasn't easy for me to go through three marriages and, and two divorces. It wasn't easy, I'm sure. I'm sure it goes without saying for Viktor Frankl and his, his community to go through what they did. But if we can have empathy and compassion, if we can press on, if we can remember the green frogs when they happen and take advice when we need it, we can learn this ourselves. We can teach it to our kids, maybe even teach it to our leaders or at least find it in our leaders. Hopefully we can. We can become more composed as individuals, as communities, and as a nation. Remember another example of two employees who got sent home from work. They were both sick. They, they, they felt okay, but they were contagion. I guess there was a little bit of a, a, a pandemic going through their office. And so they were sent home for two weeks. And one of them was completely depressed. He said, I have an inbox overflowing. I don't have time for this. He was depressed the whole time. The other one said, Two weeks with pay? Are you kidding me? It's a week. He went home. He said, they didn't tell me I couldn't go fishing. He bought a bunch of junk food, rented some movies. He stayed home, relaxed, recharged, hung out with his girlfriend, came back completely recharged and upbeat. The other one came back depressed and demoralized. They both had flowing inboxes. They both had deadlines they were behind on now, but they came back completely different. And what was different from that scenario was how they chose to see it. Nothing else. The next tip that I want to share with you is staying evenly tempered. Try to go with the flow. Try to stay in the middle. Avoid wide swings from one end to the other. I have another partner who is, I love him to death. He's one of my very best friends, but he is temperamental. He gets irritated easily, gets upset when people are stupid. He is I'm, I'm, he struggles to not be emotional and easily easily irritated. And I'm constantly telling him to relax. A lot of things we can't control. We can't control this world. We can't control others. We can't control timelines. We can't control the politics or the people that surround us. All we can do is stay reserved 
and patient and loving versus getting emotional, upset, and and irate and and, and offended and, and so forth. We need to let go and let God, as they say. Another Latin definition I looked up when I was looking at composure talked about equanimity. It says, with an even mind. It isn't always easy. I was talking with a lady last night. I went to an employment meeting at our church. She's looking for a job. She's struggling, living with her dad. He's paying all her bills. And I talked to her about hills and valleys. So when you're in the hill, she says she's having a hard time even getting out of bed. And I said, when we're in the valley, the worst thing we can do is just lay down in the mud. So we got to get up. We got to start climbing. Got to look up. My parents have a sign on their wall at home that says, reach up. And it's a reminder to look to God and look up and pull yourself up by your, by your coveralls, as they say, and look to others, ask for help, keep going. Remember Thomas Edison and his 10,000 failures. He is in the history books now. He changed history. But if he hadn't, where would we be? We'd be sitting here. We wouldn't even be doing this because we wouldn't have the electricity to run our Wi-Fi, our computers, and this broadcast. We need to surround ourselves by good examples. They say we'll become the sum total of the five people we spend the most time with. Are those people that you want to be like? We need to find wise men and real and and wise men and wise women. We need to be wise men and wise women. If we do, if we don't give up, we can be more healthy, more happy. We can give help to others. We need to learn to accept service from others. And one of the best ways to feel better is to go out and give it. Last week, I had a visit with Sir James, or two weeks ago, Sir James Gray Robinson. He talked about the moving from success to stress. He talked about how we can be out of alignment. He talked about energy. That one of the, some of the easiest ways to change how we feel is to choose, again, emotional intelligence, choose to smile. Hum a song, sing in the shower, sing in your car. That changes your brain to think, I'm not at risk. I'm not being attacked. Changes from the parasympathetic to the sympathetic brain and helps us feel better. And one of the best ways to do that is to give service. Got to remember the big picture. It helps to have plans A, B, C, and D. It helps to pivot. Helps to keep asking the question, what else can I do? I've talked a lot over the years about a book called The Oz Principle. And one of the most important lessons it teaches is to not be a victim. Not point fingers, pass a buck, say I'm confused. I, I, I don't know what to do. It's not my job. But to keep asking, what else can I do? That, again, is a phenomenal example of composure. Look upward and look outward. And like mom and dad signs says, reach up. You know, one of the things about our business is we help independent contractors across the country. We have associates from coast to coast who come to work with us. And we create for them multiple streams of income. So they have plans A, B, C, and D. We had a banking platform we've been working with. It went on a long moratorium, but we didn't have all our eggs in that basket. We had half a dozen other divisions we could focus on while that one was 
working through their growing pains. I think we need to do that in our own lives, not just in our business, but in our lives. We need to have backup plans, contingencies. That's a great tool or technique for having and creating more composure in our own lives. We also need to choose to be present. I call this present participation. Remember, presence of mind. That was one of the definitions of composure. Not fear, anger, and worry, which is past and future, but present. It's a great book called The Present. It was written by Spencer Johnson. And he says, one of the greatest gifts you can give to someone is to be present. He's also the author of The One Minute Manager, which teaches managers how to manage more effectively. And one of my favorite books called Who Moved My Cheese? Again, by Spencer Johnson. That book teaches you how to have composure and control in change. The only thing constant, the only thing you can rely on in life, as they say, is change. And if you think anything otherwise, you're going to be frustrated all the time. One of my favorite quotes is that the level of our expectation, excuse me, the level of our frustrations is equal to the distance between our expectations and reality. If our expectations are way up here, but reality is way down here, we're going to be really frustrated. If we lower those expectations, we're going to be less frustrated. That doesn't mean we lower our aims. doesn't mean we lower our standards, but we lower our expectations. Expectations are usually on other people and other things. We also need to give ourselves some slack and be willing to keep moving. The last tip I have for you is to remember accountability versus victimhood. And I, I touched on this briefly talking about the Osborne spot. I was invited to be in a book a couple of years ago called Mission Matters. It focuses on CEOs whose companies are making a difference. And I talked about this topic about accountability because ultimately that's what this is all about. Being accountable for ourselves, for our responses. Are we stopping and counting to 10 before we say the wrong thing? Are we listening? Letting the other person be a speaker while we are a listener. Are we, are we looking to good examples? Are we seeking greater emotional intelligence? Are we asking, what else can I do? Now, it's not being a victim to ask for help. That's actually empowering. It empowers you and the person you're helping or the person you're asking for help from. When you are transparent and admit we need help, it doesn't damage our reputations. In most cases, in the eyes of our colleagues and peers and loved ones, they respect us more. It is a constant effort of course correction. You think of an airplane. They say that the pilots or the autopilot at least are is constantly correcting the course. If not, you're going to end up in an entirely different city. The same thing as we're driving down the road. Our hands are never still. Our hands are constantly keeping us in our lane, unless maybe we're driving a Tesla that's doing it for us. But even then, the Tesla is keeping us in the lane, we're constantly recalculating and, and, and adjusting. And we need to do that in our own lives. It's, a, it's one of the characteristics of a person that is truly composed. Are we constantly checking in? Are we constantly asking how we're doing? I heard a, an example that defined repentance as a... Repentance is a person who is, uh, let's see, what did it say? Uh, 
the definition of a righteous person is a person who is repenting. Well, that sounded backwards to me, but it's true. It's a person who is striving to get better. And he asked the question, which direction are you facing on the stairway? Are you facing up and going up as fast as you can or facing back down? An amazing example in my life is my partner and executive assistant. She's a partner in certainty management, Miss Jill McCauley. She's in a wheelchair. She's a, she is paralyzed from the collarbone down, and yet she is an amazing example to all of us of composure. She's the epitome of growth, of focus, of attitude, and of serving others. One of my favorite quotes is from the founder of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Joseph Smith. And he says, judge ye for yourselves. God knoweth all these things, whether it be good or bad, but nevertheless, deep water is what I am wont to swim in. He says deep water is what he was destined or guaranteed to swim in. And isn't that all of our lives? Again, if we think we're special and we're the only one going through this, we're wrong. 100% of the time. If you assume the person next to you is going through something really difficult, you're going to be right more often than not. Stop thinking that you're special or unlucky or cursed or whatever. He continues and says, it has become second nature to me. That's a great example of somebody who was composed, who had composure, even in the face of terrible challenges and losses. He was eventually martyred. When my first marriage failed, I loved this quote. I read it all the time. It reminded me of becoming a deeper person. In fact, my parents started calling me Deep River as a nickname. My wife to this day still calls me Riv. And it's a reminder, which I love, of who I want to be. A person who is composed. A person who is controlled. A person who is mature person who is more like, if nothing else, the greatest example of composure, another C word, and that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. This has been Finding Certainty. Thanks for spending your Friday morning with me today. I hope you've enjoyed this session as much as I've enjoyed preparing it and planning it and sharing it with you. I hope you've learned some things that can bless your own life, as they have mine, and as there are many, many lives around the world, across the country, who have, who have and are learning these things and applying them in their lives. They absolutely create more certainty. They can change your life forever. I appreciate you listening in. Have a great weekend. I know that you can do it. I know you can find more certainty and create more certainty in your own life in this and all the ways we share here on Finding Certainty. I wish the very best. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning into today's episode of Finding Certainty. We hope you've gained some more insight into how to create more certainty in your own business or nonprofit. Join us next week for another taste of the certainty experience. Until then, we wish you greater certainty in all that you do.